sometimes there's going to be this woman or this man that's so qualified and so experienced. They're going to be like, well, maybe I'm just not ready yet. And maybe I'm not an expert yet. And it's like, you've got to pause and really look in like, what am I naturally good at? Where have I created results before? Why do I believe that I could help people? What experience do I have? You know what? Education, maybe at School of Hard Knocks, who have I helped to accomplish this? Like, do you have substance behind that? And if you do, stop holding yourself back. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you with me today, as always, and I've got an incredible episode for you today. Christina Jandali is here with me today, and you may or may not know who she is, but you are absolutely going to love this conversation. We are talking about really cool communication strategies what the marketplace is doing. I learned so much from her brilliance. And it doesn't matter whether you're a corporate person, whether you're an entrepreneur, starting a business, building a business, you've got an eight-figure business. You're going to learn so much from this conversation. I'm so delighted that she had the time to come on the show and not one bit surprised at how much value she added. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in just a minute because I want to let you know I am doing my 12-week group coaching program one more time this year. It ends up being 16 weeks, I believe. It is a really, really cool thing that I've put together for you to end the year. I want you to end the year strong. And I'm doing the research study right now. Some of you have participated in it. And I will tell you, it's been stunning. People have said, oh my gosh, I am floored at how voices are affecting me, which makes me think about how is my voice affecting my team, my prospects, my listener People are making decisions within seconds. And the feedback from this study, of course, I'm going to do a lot of episodes around my findings, but the point of it is your voice is critical. And so I don't want you to miss this opportunity because I want you to end 23 meeting all your goals and going into 24 strong. And As a part of meeting those goals, you really want to be ready to write some stuff down that Christina is talking about today. It's such wisdom from her. If you want to find out about the 12-week program, six people only, captivatetheroom.com forward slash next dash level forward slash. I'm putting the link in the show notes. Let me tell you, her story alone is impressive. 
Christina is a confidence-boosting, cash-creating business growth strategist who helps coaches and course creators start, grow, and scale their digital business online. From college dropout, and we talk about that too, because I have a lot of people I've worked with over the years that that's a big hangup for them and it affects how they use their voice that they didn't make it through college or they didn't even go to college. She's a college dropout, went from that to real estate investor and corporate wealth advisor. She became a self-made millionaire in her 20s after going through a divorce, experiencing the housing and stock market crash and losing it all. She managed to rebuild her wealth over again. Since then, she's on a mission to help others create wealth and financial freedom through entrepreneurship by monetizing their knowledge. After leaving the corporate golden handcuffs, Christina grew her own coaching business from ground zero while on maternity leave to seven figures in just five years. I had the opportunity to meet her several years ago. James Wedmore introduced us, had the opportunity to work with her and work with her students. I've been in her program to see what she's doing over there. And it is really, really amazing. You are going to love this conversation. So let's head over to the show. Christina, welcome to the show. I'm so, so happy to have you here today. I was excited to be here. I just, I am, I can't wait to have this conversation and, and I'm just honored that you're here. You know, I always start with, tell us who you are and what you do. So let's just start there and we'll see where we go. Yes. My name is Christina Gendali and I started my business from ground zero eight years ago. Took me five years to build a seven-figure company and multi-seven figures since then. And I help online entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs monetize their knowledge online. So help them start, grow, and scale their online coaching or consulting business. Now, I've already got like nine questions. (laughs) (laughs) Jump right in. (laughs) What did you do? before this and or what made you decide I'm going to start this business and this business specifically? I'm really curious. So I was actually, I was in corporate, I was in finance and Mm. I managed wealthy people's money. So I made Mm. rich people richer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I had the opportunity to invest in the stock market, bond markets, mutual funds, and would invest wealthy people's money. And I did that for nearly 15 years. And I live in the West Coast. I live in Vancouver. And so my timing for that, the stock market would open at 6.30 a.m. Pacific Coast time. And so when my daughter was born, which was my first child, I remember just looking at her thinking, I want her to live her best life. I want her to like, you know, really step into her possibility. You know, as a new mom, it's like, you want everything for this child. And I realized that I didn't feel like I was living that. And so how could I be an example for her? Mm. And I remember making a promise to myself and to her that I wanted to be that example. I wanted to be that demonstration for a mom. And I'd love to say that's when everything started and everything changed, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of just planted a seed. And two years later, I had my son 
And I was off on maternity leave in Canada. You get an entire year off on maternity leave, which is just amazing. Amazing as an employee, not so amazing as an employer. <laughs> right. If we look at it from that perspective. Right. However, you have an entire year off. And so I started taking courses online and when I was off on maternity leave with my second child, trying to figure out like what I wanted to do when I grow up, like what, what is this next chapter? And I, I knew I wanted to start a business. I didn't know what I explored many different avenues, thought about maybe I'd go back to school, get my executive MBA, started doing foundational things for that. Like, no, that's definitely not traditional Mm -hmm. education is definitely not the path that I want to move forward with. And I ended up signing up for an advertisement from Tony Robbins And it was this training for learning how he coaches and provides people breakthroughs at his events. And I was just fascinated how you would have this clip of someone and you just see them shift. Like in a moment, you would just see this breakthrough and you'd see this person shift. And I was like, I want to know how he does that. And even if I don't change my career per se, if I can learn how to do that, it's going to help me managing people in finance. And the fact of the matter is when you're managing people's money and you're losing their money, when the stock market crashes, Mm -hmm. because I went through, you know, 2007 crash, I went through 2011 and I was in the, you know, the, um, the technology crash. So I've been, you know, all of the, or, you know, 9-11, like all of those moments. And I could tell you, when the market's crashing and things are falling apart in the economy, your job is to instill confidence in another human being. And you may think that it's about how well you manage their money, but it's actually how well you can manage their emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, this is going to help me. It's going to be a skill in life. And so I signed up and it was a coaching certification. I had no interest in becoming a coach. <laughs> However, I shifted so much within myself and realized so much about myself that I wanted other people to have that same experience. And so that's where it opened up the possibility of like, maybe I could get into coaching. What would that look like consulting? What would be my niche? And that kind of started my entrepreneurial journey of making that decision of starting an online coaching company. I did not know. And of course, like I mentioned in the intro, I, I know you love and adore you and your work. So inspiring. But these are things that I didn't even know about you. (laughs) I can only imagine the pressure of that work that you did. Well, and it's a different kind of pressure now, I guess. And we're going to talk about that. But the pressure of managing not necessarily people's money, but managing their emotions. I love that you said that. I think that's that's such a body of work right there, Mm -hmm. isn't it? How to navigate people that are losing millions. How did you do that? How did you instill confidence in them? Because I know voice played a part in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting because I don't think I ever, you know, when you do things all the time, you just do it and you don't Mm -hmm. think about it. You just do it. And this was something that came up in my company recently and maybe about a year ago. And I was meeting with a team member And to me, I just couldn't understand why several team members, the way in which they would respond to a client over something was so different than I would respond. Mm -hmm. And, and if there's one thing that I feel like that I've have a developed that skill for is that communication and selling that confidence. And I could take someone that's upset or angry about something and end a conversation with them, just thinking that like, 
they're happy and complete and they feel good. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, how do I teach this? Like, what is Mm -hmm. it that I actually do? And I started thinking at like walking through, okay, what do I do first? What do I do next? And I created what I call the communication matrix Mm -hmm. and there's four steps to it. And so I'll walk you through them. Yeah, (laughs) I am fascinated. So the first step is to acknowledge. And when I say acknowledge is like, we listen And we just use the language of the person of what they're sharing back to us without an opinion or bringing ourselves into the conversation. So we're just mirroring back what they've said to us. Sounds like, looks like, feels like, insert whatever they said. So whatever it is that they said in their words. But the most important thing is we can't say, I'm hearing you say... Or don't bring I into the conversation. You're just simply making it about them and you're acknowledging. And the moment that you acknowledge something, you diffuse it. The moment that you get defensive or you want to have your point of view or perspective, it elevates the conversation. It makes it, blows it up. So acknowledge. That's always number one. Once someone feels acknowledged and heard, their guard comes down and they're actually open. The next step, so acknowledge number one. Number two is to clarify. And the biggest mistake that we make is we always observe what someone shares to us through our lens and view of the world. So do I agree? Do I disagree? Do I distort it, delete it, accept it, right? What's the, what's my lens? And the fact is it has nothing about to do with you. So don't make it about you. And clarifying allows us to ask a clarifying question so that we can fully understand what someone's sharing from their point of view. Essentially, we're trying to find the meaning that they're attaching to whatever the thing is that they're saying. And this is this this could be for a client complaint. This could be for a great conversation. It doesn't have to be negative conversation, but just anytime through communication. So we ask clarifying questions to get specificity on what they're sharing so we can better understand their come from. The third phase is rectify. So this is where we're fixing whatever it is. So either there's a problem we're fixing or a client's having a challenge even if you're working with a client to help them with anything, like what is the thing that we're trying to fix or solve for, resolve, fix, move forward with, elevate, whatever it is. So the next phase is to rectify. And then the final phase, which is really important too, is to close the loop. And Mm -hmm. that means that we don't leave the conversation open. The conversation gets to be complete and that there's nothing left that needs to be said still, that both parties feel complete. Now, What's really important to recognize too, as you go through this matrix is that the rectifying doesn't mean that it necessarily, like, let's say, I don't know, let's just say it was a client complaint as an example, or someone's complaining about, so they're not happy with something. Rectify doesn't mean that you actually give them what they want per se, but it means that there's closure to something. So let's say, for example, um, and I don't know why it's coming up for a complaint, but let's just say it's about a complaint. Let's say someone asks for a refund and you have a no refund policy in your company, but someone asks for a refund. Your rectify can be to state the policy terms that they agreed to in which there is no refund. It doesn't mean that we're, but because you went through the stages to acknowledge prior to and clarify, rectify feels like it's closure and it's an answer to something, whether they agree or not. And then closing the loop is ensuring that it's closed. But it's so funny because I have my team apply this when they get into communication. And we've had people that have been 
you know, um, upset about something that are thanking us and appreciating us after, even if they didn't get what they asked for. And it just blows my team's mind. They're like, this works every single time. I'm like, hundred percent. It works every single, it, it works every single time. So instilling confidence with the client when the market feels like it's crashing, it's like acknowledging and hearing what they're saying. So they feel heard for whatever that is. Clarifying is helping understand what meaning, what story that they've attached to that. So let's say they lost money in the market and they're feeling nervous and you acknowledge, um, you know, sounds like you're feeling nervous, right? Um, could you tell me what specifically you're like, let's just say, can you tell me specifically what you're nervous about? What are you worried is going to happen? And they say, well, I'm worried I'm not going to have money for, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to retire now because I feel like it's going to step me back a few years. So now we're understanding that they're attaching this thing that's happening right now to like the future of their retirement. And that's what they're actually worried about. It's not the thing so much of right now. So now we get to understand and help them. So if we're going to rectify, how do we help them see how they're still going to be okay for retirement, what that's going to look like and, and rectifying that for them and then closing the loop, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we go acknowledge and then we go into clarify, rectify, and then close the loop. That is gold. That is gold. And to me, that's very much like, how do you want them to feel? Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, you know, I talk about all the time yes. and it's, it's very much, it's filled with compassion. And I just love it from the start. Listen, we're so quick to defend. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, a, you know, Christine, I'm a little bit on a crazy pants bandwagon right now around customer service that is so toxic. Yes. And that's not, I I know your team, I know your people. And I, you know, it starts from the top and that is, it's a phenomenal experience over at your place from start to finish. But right now in the world I'm seeing, and the listeners have heard me talk about a situation with car that I'm dealing with, that is just mind bendingly bad. The customer service element are you are you seeing that in the world too? Do you feel that too? I think that it's sadly the art of like yeah. customer service is quickly dissolving. Yeah. And I think that I don't think my experience is that oftentimes I don't think the youth has been taught the same values or perspectives or have the same loyalty with companies that was created and relationships established you know, even in the um, coming from the financial side and the banking side, you know, from the beginning stages of when I started in the banking side of like, you know, I would um, just to give perspective, like going over the top for customer service for a client, you know, we would have, um, we would manage wealthy people's money and we would also do exchange for their currency. So let's say I live Mm -hmm. in Canada and let's say someone wanted to exchange, you know, a a substantial chunk of money from Canadian to American I actually would go and source rates outside of our company to get them a better rate to to invest with us, to go above and beyond. There was no benefit to us whatsoever. However, it was the best support for that client. And that was just like, you know, it's like looking at above and beyond. And I think the art of above and beyond has really just been lost. And it's like, everyone's out to get their experience. Like I went to the kids shopping for back to school Mm -hmm. and my daughter needed shoes. Mm -hmm. So we went into a shoe store and there was this, um, you know, maybe teenager, early 20 some girl that was working at the store. 
she has her foot up on the chair, mm. arms crossed, mm-hmm. kind of standing around, looking around the store. And I asked her, excuse me, could I get, you know, this size in this shoe? She huffs like, oh, oh no. Puts her, flings her head to the side in a huff and goes and gets the shoe. And I was like, oh my goodness, sorry for inconveniencing you to do the job that you're actually getting paid yeah. to do, yeah. right? Which is like, like just a basic, you know, but it's mm-hmm. it's 100% I agree with you. And I actually feel like those that are elevating their customer service and their customer experience are the ones that really are going to continue to excel and expand and grow as economies contract, as, you know, we we're touching on briefly before jumping into this recording, buying behavior is changing. The, the reason why people will leave, the reason why people will quit, the reason why people will become um, unhappy with your company or your services more has to do with their customer support and experience than it often does with the actual delivery of what you do. And, and, and it's fascinating because when I worked in finance too, people, clients would leave because breakdowns in administration more so than they would leave based on unhappiness with their return on investment. It blew my mind and it was mm-hmm. so consistent. Mm-hmm. So hands down, totally agree with you there. Yeah. I, I, that's such a great share. And I, I see it in smaller companies, maybe 20 people companies like entrepreneurial style things like you and I do all the way into I'm taking on a very well-known car manufacturer right now. And really the whole deal is about customer service in both. And I will walk away from both. And yet I think of myself as an incredibly loyal buyer. If you don't treat me like a number, if you treat me like my business matters, if you, it's all goes back to how do you make me feel? And I was feeling the exact same thing that I think the people that are doing what we're talking about are going to flourish. Their companies are going to flourish because people are going to go, you know what? I don't want to be spoken to that way. I kind of like the way she's talking to me. And then we consistently do that. That builds customers for life. And I think I don't know a ton about the the ins and outs of the numbers of your business, but I feel like that's what you've done is you've built long-term customers that stay for life in your company. Is that, am I right? Am I right on that? Yes, absolutely. I thought so. Yeah. It's, it's very much, very much the perspective of like, you know, and if, if we look at business growth, the lifetime value of a customer, like if we're looking at dollars and cents for a moment, Mm -hmm. if we look at the lifetime value of the customer, so what does one customer worth to you over the lifetime of that customer, right? Mm -hmm. That we, we get to work with. And, and that really is the metric that creates the opportunity for scale. And if we're just perpetually reselling on the front end and working with people, we're constantly on the treadmill of having to fill it back up again. And, you know, it's like, sell it, Right. Mm-hmm. It's like hunt, kill, eat, hunt, kill, eat. Like that's <laughs> like your cycle. And it's like there's no, you know, and it's like as you grow in scale, it's looking at like, okay, you're going from the hunter to the farmer. It's like, how are we sowing seeds and how are we planning for the next season? And what are we doing to create that so that we're building those long-term relationships? And to me, my mission is really about creating millionaires. And mm-hmm. that's just not a 
like a quick once and done thing. It really does take time to develop someone's belief, to develop their business structure, to develop their systems, to be able to produce a million dollar company. And so, you know, we work with people in year one, consider it with them getting cash flow and that basic down. But if we want to help people become millionaires, then we're in this for the long haul. And my own experience as a consumer, when I stopped jumping from program to program, from coach to coach, Mm -hmm. and stopped changing the circumstances outside of myself and hunkered down with two different coaches, couldn't quite settle with one. So we have two (laughs) very different, very different perspectives, but two different coaches in my corner and working with both of them for the last four or five years my business has grown exponentially versus looking at how do I change something outside of myself? Oh, this strategy didn't work. Well, I'll go to a different one or this coach didn't have this one, go to a different one versus really sitting down and choosing to be in relationship and having the level of relationship with someone where, you know, and I know with our clients, I know their blind spots. I know where they pull back. I know where they have moments that they get stuck. I know their patterns and we can spot it and we see it. And you don't have that same opportunity to serve someone if we're working with them solely in a four week, six week, eight week container. And then it's done. We're done and we're not working with them. We just don't have that same capacity and the level of trust and relationship that's built creates the foundation for so much more um, growth and opportunity. And, you know, we have several people, even that, you know, had moved on outside of our company recently who are coming back in to work with us again after going elsewhere and realizing mm-hmm. I want to come back. That's mm-hmm. like, this is home, this is family. And this is where I know that I'm going to grow. I know. And so it's been fascinating to see that just because people leave also doesn't mean that they're not going to come back yeah. when you hold that as a priority and maintain and the relationship and connection that you have with people. Doesn't surprise me at all that they come back because I know the space that you create. And I think this it's really in a way a big rubber band ball that we're talking about. I want to talk more about buying habits, but I also want to talk more about this scaling and this process. And it all really goes together Mm -hmm. because my buying habits 100% are going to be part of that experience. So I can think, okay, I've gotten what I need here. I'm going to go over there. But if that's not a good experience, I'm coming back home. As you were talking about that, it made me wonder if you have thoughts around why do people do that? Is it this silver bullet? I want to go... That's what I'm, I want that. You know, I see copying in a lot of different ways. I'm going to do it like them. I'm going to do it like them. And so is it just this silver bullet? I need to fast track a million this year idea concept that people have. And that's the one that's going to get it to me. Is that why people are so moving around like, like they do? Yeah, it's a great question. I definitely think there's some of that, right? Like this is the thing that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever we make a buying decision from a place of lack or scarcity or thinking that we're going to pay to solve, to fix the problem, mm-hmm. the come from is different than from a place of vision of this is where I'm going. And I know that this person's going to help. This person is well-equipped to be the person alongside me to help create that versus I'm stuck. I'm struggling. I'm not working. This person can fix me. There's a difference. 
And yes. And when we're, when we're waiting for someone to fix us, we're never happy because no one can fix us. Mm -hmm. Like there's work that we have to do within ourselves to develop our own belief. And let's just say as an example, as a new entrepreneur, someone who feels uncomfortable selling, Mm -hmm. well, they're going to feel uncomfortable selling, whether they're selling through the DMs, whether they're selling through an enrollment conversation, whether they're selling through a webinar, Mm -hmm. they're still selling. Mm -hmm. And the only way through the discomfort of selling is to shift our own perspective beliefs and develop our own experience and mastery with selling so that our come from is a place of clean space that feels like it's service. And the only mm-hmm. way can we can do that is to do it and to go through the discomfort. And, and, you know, I spent a long time scared of making it my very first cl- a client that a paid client that I made an offer to. It took me three hours to, to like get the words <laughs> out of my mouth to make the, like to offer her. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I made the offer, I thought she said yes, but I wasn't sure. And I was so uncomfortable that I changed the subject right after. Mm. And then I was thinking to myself, should I ask her? No, that would be weird if I ask her again. So I just continued on a conversation. And then as we're wrapping up, she says, so how exactly do I pay you? (laughs) I was like, oh, she said yes. (laughs) She did say yes. And, And so I get that but we it's like so every moment like every stumbling block every moment that we have like the the time where we can't break through or we're stuck whether it's our whether it's just getting started and getting that first client whether it's having our first 10k launch 100,000 launch whether it's hiring our first team member whether it's you know really growing at scale there's something that's within us that gets to grow in order to move and the only, if we look outside of ourselves for someone to fix us, we're essentially avoiding responsibility for our growth and we're expecting someone to fix it. And then we're going to keep paying for someone else to fix it until we actually stop to be like, did I, did I go through everything? Did I give it my all? Mm-hmm. And that was an experience that I had even for myself when I was renewing on a program um, that I was in a mastermind and I didn't create much movement in my business in that year of the mastermind. And, and I thought, well, I don't think I'm going to renew. And then I said to myself, okay, well, did I really give it my all? Did I give it a fair like effort? Did I use all the opportunities and the resources available to me to create a success with that? And I honestly looked I'm like, well, no, I didn't. So I said, okay, well, what's in the gap for me? What's missing? And this particular mastermind that I was part of was, you know, there's a few hundred people in it and I was one of many people and I knew that I needed more intimacy for me personally. Mm-hmm. So I upgraded to a, that with the same coach, same experience, but just an ele- like an upgrade in that experience, which would give me access via Voxer to mm-hmm. the coach that was leading it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go into this next year, really going all in and utilizing everything, asking for support. Sometimes that's difficult too, and go all in. And then my business exponentially grew Mm. that year as a result of that. And so instead of, again, looking outside of myself, blaming the program or what was involved Mm -hmm. or what was there, it was like, okay, did I give it my all? And in order for me to get what I need, what do I need? And that's where I really found the gap because if I had stayed in that container in the hundreds of people without the intimacy of support, I don't think I would have grown to the same extent because it's just not how I work best. And so we get to be really honest with ourselves. And to me, there's really three, you know, this actually birthed the idea of what I call, um, what we call the results-based transformational offer. And there's, and most 
you know, potential solutions that are missing some of these pieces. And the, the mm-hmm. first thing is, a, you know, in the, that is a results-based system. And the system includes like a process. So we have a repeatable way to help someone achieve something. Mm-hmm. But also involved in that, in that system, results-based system is people need to develop their skills. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't born having the skill of selling, right? So I have to develop my skill to be able to effectively deliver and sell. Like I'm not going to be born with that. And I have to develop the skill to effectively apply what I'm learning. So mm-hmm. it's one thing to have a recipe, but if I don't, if I'm uncomfortable on camera and I'm scared and I'm like a deer in headlights on the camera, well, I'm not going to be effective. So that means I have to develop my skill. So there's a skill gap that I have to mm-hmm. close. And so I don't think most programs provide the opportunity to level up the skill. So we have like the results-based system that has the process, that has skill building. And then tools are simple tools that we can use to um, make things easier for people. So mm-hmm. maybe, um, you know, when I was doing 75 hard, which is like daily mm-hmm. workouts, mm-hmm. you have to drink water and, you know, read a book. There's an app and you have like little tick boxes. I'm like, it was such a simple tool, but it helped me keep to my word and mm-hmm. keep true to being consistent with a simple tool, but tools to make it easy with our clients. We give templates as an example, technology templates, the pages you need to build out, we give them to you. So you don't have to reinvent mm-hmm. the wheel. That's mm-hmm. like the results-based system. And then the second piece is coaching. And mm-hmm. coaching, there's a difference between coaching and consulting. Coaching mm-hmm. is helping someone see their possibility and their greatness mm-hmm. and breaking through the barriers that would be preventing them from fully owning and seeing that themselves, helping them get out of their own way. And then the third piece is accountability. And that means holding someone accountable to what they, not to necessarily what you say you're going to do, because I don't know. I don't want someone telling me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> However, some people like that. Um, but accountability, when I say accountability, I think like accountability to your vision. Like, what do you, what did you say you wanted? Mm-hmm. Like, who do you want to be? Like, what's that future version of you? And I'm not going to let you talk yourself out of that. Mm-hmm. Just because you fell down here or something didn't work over here. I still see you over here. I still see you in your possibility. And I'm not going to let you talk yourself out of that. And if that means that you're going to borrow my belief in you mm-hmm. until you believe in yourself, accountability is holding someone to what they say they wanted. And so to me, like having those three components, like in what we call a results-based transformational offer is really setting someone up to have results and have predictable results. And I feel like that's missing in the industry that there's one or two pieces, but no, you're, if you're looking at a course and I sell a course too, course completions, 5%. So Mm -hmm. that means like 95% of people aren't going to finish Whereas a results-based transformational offer, we see like 90, some of our clients see up to 98% completion rate with a results-based mm-hmm. transformational offer. But I can't look at a course and expect that I'm going to have a full transformation, lifelong change from a course just based on the stats. Like if, if I, if I school, it's like trying to get orange juice out of an apple. Mm-hmm. But if I then invest in a results-based transformational offer that has all those components, well, now I'm actually giving myself the, the success ingredients that will help me cross the finish line and have the breakthrough. So I think that there's a few different dynamics of it. So I feel like people are constantly searching because they're buying a tactic, which is typically in a course, you learn one tactic. Mm -hmm. And although very valuable, it's one piece. Mm -hmm. And there's other pieces that get to be slotted in to create what Mm -hmm. you want to create. And so I think they're perpetually searching and not following through, not completing, not getting the result because they don't have those that whole full encompassing program or offer or support Mm -hmm. that would help them really have the breakthrough that they're looking for. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. And, you know, there were, there's a, there's a several questions that came out of what you just said. I think you're spot on a hundred percent, but what I'm really curious about is around developing the skill because this is one of my biggest issues is for people to, to not my clients, but people out in the social media sphere or places like that to come to a training. And I don't know if you see this, but I see this. They'll come to a training and they'll go, and they'll go okay, I got it. Great. Thanks. You don't have it. You don't have it. And that's what I hear you saying in this is that course is great, but you can't just view that course and now you're going to build a million dollar business. Not only do you have to have all the parts, but you've got to have the execution in my mind. You got to change your own system, your own habits, taking different actions. It can't just be, okay, great. I got it. I got it. Thanks. That's the trick of the mind. And I think that's protection, which is really in alignment with my other two things that I, that I want to throw at you. Not doing the work. Why are we not doing the work? Do we not believe that we can do the work? Why are we not doing the work? And why are we not asking for support? Because we feel like we should know because we feel like we're going to look stupid. You know, the number one thing I hear from people is I don't want to look stupid, Tracy. That's why I don't, that's why I don't use my voice. So that's a little bit of a bucket of things, but. <laughs> yes. I love that question. And just even the first, like why people don't ask for help. And, and there's, there's a safety mechanism that we hide behind. So Lewis Howes wrote a book, The uh, Masks of Masculinity, mm -hmm. and he talks about like the guards that we put up. And quite honestly, I feel like it's a great book talking about all the different dynamics because we hide behind women too, right? Mm -hmm. We all hide behind these protection masks. Mm -hmm. For some people, it is looking good. Like they need to mm -hmm. look good. They need to look mm -hmm. polished. They need to have it all together. And they will, um, they will, that's their protection mechanism from mm -hmm. like safety to not allow people and to not be hurt to protect themselves. Some people use humor, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you see the jokesters sometimes that, mm -hmm. you know, you think about like Robin Williams in the world. It's like entertaining and being fun and, and um, you know, entertaining everyone else when inside he's crumbling and inside it's falling apart when things are not um, as they seem from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so each of us have, there's a need to be right mask where we mm -hmm. like develop a righteousness of like, I need to, you know, I need to be right. There's blame where it's everyone else's fault. Mm -hmm. Someone else is doing this happened to me. And so there's all of these different human behavior masks that if we're undeveloped in our leadership, we default to these masks. Mm -hmm. And right, I could do it on my own, right? Like these are all masks that prevent us, that keep us safe. 
And typically, if we dig down deeper, if we go really into the conversation, there was a moment in time where a decision was made that you had to behave or operate this way in order mm-hmm. to fit in, in order to be loved, in order to be, you know, included, welcomed. And from some whatever moment, whether that was on the playground and one day you were excluded from something because you shared your opinion and you realized, well, I, in order to fit in, I get to blend in and be like everybody else mm-hmm. and lose their voice. So wherever that came from, it started somewhere. And if we have, if we haven't developed our leadership, we default into these masks. And the thing is, no matter how much you develop your leadership, your mask, the thing that you hide behind will always be your mask. Mm -hmm. It's never going to disappear. It's always going to be there, but it's the awareness of when it creeps up, do I fall behind it and pull back? Or do I lean in and say, no, this is not who I am. This is not what I'm standing for and lean in and, and, and lean through that to have the breakthrough that you're looking for. And so I think that most people are going through life, not realizing their own behavior, their own reactions and their reaction and reaction to other people. So triggers as an example, like when we have negative emotional triggers around something, um, right. It triggers these masks for us. And then Mm -hmm. this is how, how we protect ourselves. So I feel like when people don't ask for help, it's because they've learned somewhere down the line that it wasn't safe. It wasn't okay. That, that they should know the answer. It wasn't, you know, um, it's who they had to be as a child, who they, you know, what was expected of them, of what they learned and realized. And so I actually think it's like a really deep seated old experience coming from it. And that's actually one of my own, um, rackets of my own masks is like, is like lone wolfing and doing it myself. And, mm-hmm. and like, I got it all figured out. And mm-hmm. it's been difficult. It has been difficult for me to like unwind that and allow people mm-hmm. in and have the vulnerability of like, well, I, you know, of, of explaining it. It took me years before I started sharing about the failures in the business and the things mm-hmm. that didn't work and the, um, you know, the bombs, the failed launches, mm-hmm. the flops, the things that didn't happen. Um, but when I did, I felt so free because I was no longer putting on this mask of mm-hmm. like pretending I got it all figured out and needing to be perfect. I don't need to be perfect. I can fall, right. I can fail, I can screw up. I can do all the things and I'll still be yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's really hard to get sometimes. Very similar to psychology of principle, some certain principles of psychology of the voice. We think we need it. Mm-hmm. Yes. We think we we have to have this. I, I And we go to fighting for the limitations of it if we're even aware of it. I think that just based on some recent research that I did last year, I think all those roads ultimately lead to how worthy we think we feel. And I think that worth, I think we have to really come to terms with being worthy. And I think for some people that's, that's harder or impossible or that's never going to be. I hear that a lot in my work. I don't know if you hear that a lot in, in your work, but when we really get to what's behind why I can't speak up in the meeting or why I can't make the offer, it really does lead to, I don't feel worthy of having it. Yes. And you know, here's, here's just a real quick story. I did a leadership training before mm-hmm. and one of the exercises they have you go through is to help you uncover what you want. Like you mm. think this would be a simple question, right? <laughs> what is it that you want? I don't know what I want. I think, you know, when we think of all these external things 
And we have all these bears. Well, maybe I want to, um, you know, I want to hire a revenue goal in my business. I want to have something with the team. I want to have love. I want to have, you know, happy family, right? We think about all these external things, but what is it that we really want? And through this exercise was really helping you uncover underneath all of that. What was it that was really underneath it? And when I went through the exercise and got to the very bottom of like what the thing mm-hmm. was, the words that came out of my mouth were, I just want to feel enough without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like crying, yeah. just realizing like, I just want to feel like I don't have to prove anything to do something, to accomplish mm-hmm. something in order to feel enough. And that was like when it really landed on me that my mm-hmm. gosh, all this really does truly come down to that experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were born worthy. We were yeah. worthy of everything. And so it's like these layers of onions that we've accumulated over our lifetime that have mm-hmm. told us that we're not, or that we've told ourselves that we're not because of, for whatever reason, but hundred mm-hmm. percent, I agree with you. That's really what it comes down to. And ultimately people, you know, when it comes to the world of coaching, it's like someone just needs someone, everyone wants someone to believe in them. Mm-hmm. Totally. Hold that space for them and, and, and know like, you know, in that, that clean space when there's other people in their life that may doubt or question yeah. or whatever else it's like, they just want someone to believe in them too. Yeah. So powerful. And I really, I do think that we're worthy. We're worthy because we are yes. full stop. Exactly. Not because we made this amount of money or bought this kind of car or you know, none of that. That's just bonus. That's just bonus. I want to, I want to shift over real quick. I am in my realm. I'm in my space. I see things. I have my own opinions. I want to see what your because you you got a big pool out there that you play and that you swim in. I'm feeling buying patterns change. You touched on that earlier. I'm curious what your thoughts are around are things shifting in the coaching world? Are things shifting in the world world? <laughs> are things, I mean, I feel like there has, have been significant changes since 2020. Since, I mean, that was just, just boom. But we never recovered in, in the way that we were before. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's not where I want to go with this. But I'm seeing a lot of rumblings about people There's a lot of fear, for one thing, which I do not love at all. But I want to know what you're seeing in the buying space. What's changing? What's what's working? What's not working? Yes, definitely there has been changes. There's been a lot of changes in, in buying behavior. And it's shifting more quickly than before. So even through the pandemic, there was a shift in buying behavior and to me, like, and, and this is when I look back at being in the financial industry for so many years, and you're looking at valuations of company that you're investing in, what are the differences? And and what I always love is like the stock market precedes everything that we see in the marketplace. So whatever we see is patterns that are happening in the stock market tends to be a leading indicator of what we actually, like it tends to happen ahead of where we experience it as a consumer or yeah. as a small business owner, right? It's, it's, it leads the charge and it leads the way. And so same with, you know, decisions on interest rates and what's happening there. It's always giving us clues as to like where, Mm. where things are leading. And so it's been a really interesting time because during the pandemic, there was such an influx of capital that was brought into the marketplace through government funding, 
loans, checks, mm. you know, all sorts of things that were coming in to, to bring cash to the consumer. So the world wouldn't implode during the downturn where mm-hmm. people are not being able to work and all the things that were happening. So it was a sort of 2000, 2021, we had people that had more savings than normal because of funding that was coming into it. And they weren't traveling. They weren't going out to eat. They were actually savings rates were the highest they had been in a long time. Oh. So in the online space, there was a big break in the industry. Those that went all in. And to me, if you go look on my, um, like my Facebook page, Olivia Gina's Facebook page, you'll see like old videos of me, like during the pandemic. And it was like, you double down on your marketing. People are scared. Ads are going to be cheaper. You double down on your marketing. This is where like millionaires are grown. This is where growth happens. I think this is like, you're either going all in or you're stepping back. And so there was a huge gap in the marketplace where people that chose to go all in, and they doubled, tripled the revenue wow. numbers. And those that pulled back and were scared and were hesitant of how to move forward, wondered if they should be selling or not selling. And so there was a big gap that was created in the marketplace during that phase. Then come last year, when we started seeing increases of interest rates, drawing up of funding, government funding, getting poured into the market, you know, getting poured into the consumer marketplace and people having less, people starting to travel again, starting to go out again, consumer spending going up, inflation going up, interest rates going up. What that then creates is this um, fear of, is there going to be enough? What if I don't have enough? What if I can't keep up? And so during that time, many people flooded to the online space because they lost their jobs. They had time. So there's more people that have entered the industry, which also means a big variance in skill, right? Some people teaching Mm -hmm. things that they ought not to be teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, that don't have the substance behind what they're teaching. And it's not to say everyone has the opportunity to train someone in something that they've gained experience, wisdom, know-how, education in, but people instead were flocking to things like, oh, that seems like a good thing. So I'm going to teach business, but I've never sold a client before and I've never run a business. I've never been part of business. Mm -hmm. I teach business. Okay, well, there's a breakdown here. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of noise in the marketplace of people getting to marketing. And so there was a lot more noise. And so what happened is people started buying many different things. And so there's this experience of people purchasing many different programs and courses and then feeling defeated with their experience because they didn't get the results that they'd hoped for. And yet they were spending and spending and spending. Mm -hmm. So what's happening now is the consumer is more sophisticated. They're more educated. They've heard many of the promises and they've lost trust with themselves or with the people that are selling. And therefore they're more considerate around their purchase. So the purchasing timeline has gotten longer as people look at gathering more information, more consideration as to whether or not they're going to move forward with their buying decision. So we're extending out the buying cycle. The challenge is if a business is just focused on the short term, let's say you run a launch, you're like, okay, these people bought now. Okay, that's great. But the people that didn't buy, which is going to be like 95, 97, 98% of the people that came in, they're like, they're waiting still for someone to solve their problem. And so what we're starting to see is people might go through several launch cycles or several sales campaigns before they realize, okay, I'm ready to buy Mm -hmm. now. But the impatient entrepreneur is telling themselves they didn't buy, they're not interested, and they're not realizing that intimacy and relevancy and connection with those people are going to create 
buyers again and again in the future. Mm-hmm. And so they're not realizing the buying cycles longer and people are getting impatient thinking it's not working, but just buying behavior and the cycles are changing. And so I think that we moved from a place where people in, in the last few years, people didn't want to purchase from like the online guru that had like the mass following. They didn't want to be one of thousands and thousands of people. They craved more connection with the person who's actually selling the front and face of the company. They wanted to be in their inner circle. They wanted to be part of that. And so we've really seen a dynamic shift of people desiring and craving more connection, more intimacy, more relevancy with the people that they are buying from. So I think buying decisions are taking longer. I think um, intimacy is like where we get to shift, but also in this experience where there's scarcity and fear, there's still some people that make a buying decision out of panic or fear, or like, you know, it's going to run out and then they have buyer's remorse. And Mm. so we're seeing more buyers that are non-committal to their agreements of what they're choosing to buy into, Mm. which means that refund rates are increasing in the industry, but it's because people are buying into something and then they're scared that it's not going to work for them. So to me, the way that we solve that is really building a strong onboarding system and holding our client high and really helping them see like what they're going to be building out and like, don't make it about you. They're scared. And they just need to know that they're okay and that you've got them. And if you're just focused on selling and not focused as heavily on client delivery and serving your clients to support them through that experience, especially as you grow and scale, then you're going to have more people bleeding out than you're going to have people coming in. And so it's actually an advantage in this marketplace place for people that are newer and have more intimacy. Maybe they're working one-to-one with clients and they're working with people in small groups because they're, they, there's the high degree of client deliverable and care and um, attention that's getting poured into those people. So I actually see that it's an advantage and larger companies get to replicate that same experience even in a larger container. And I really feel like that's where we're shifting in the marketplace because people actually want a result. And because people are scared, they want more guarantees. They're hoping someone's going to guarantee guarantee them. And, Mm. and that is, and I think guarantees are a safety mechanism to get someone in, but it also negates their own responsibility to what they're committed to creating and what their commitment is. And so if you do bring guarantees, I think it's really important that you have a very clear structure as to like what, what the client must meet in their side of the equation in order to fulfill on those guarantees. So that's, mm-hmm. those are some of the things that I'm seeing. So valuable right there. And there's, there's two things that you said that answered questions for me. So thank you. <laughs> it's like my own personal conversation, but I had been hearing high touch Yes, I had been hearing rumblings that people, uh, which I, I, doesn't surprise me. And it it really circles us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, what you're doing with your people, what you're doing, what you're running a high touch program. People have interaction with you. They have your eye on the business. They, you're creating this amazing high touch experience. Maybe it's not one-on-one, but it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. Thanks for buying. Bye which there has been so much of that, but I have been talking to the listeners for months now about losing my mind over somebody read an article and now they're an expert. 
Yes. <laughs> so, you know, they're, 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 they're coaching voices and it's, they've, they, you know, they were whatever before. And it's so obvious in, not just in, in my, in everywhere that that's exactly what happened. And I thought it was just me, but hearing you say that is, that's where it came from. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's so true. And it's, you know, it's, and the challenges with this too, is there's two groups of people, right? And it's funny, years ago, I wrote an article. I can't remember if this one was on, I think it might've been on in Huffington Post. I was talking about, I can't remember the title, but something about millennials surpassing more experienced coaches or entrepreneurs or something like that. And the whole concept of the article was that there was a younger generation of people that felt like they were brought up to believe they could do anything and be anything in the world that they want. And there was less holding them back in their belief system to just step into being who they want to be. Whereas an older generation has been held back by many limitations of beliefs of what we could or could not be, who we needed Mm -hmm. to be or could not be. And there was a book called The Confidence Code. And it was talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, taking a look at the difference between a group of, I think it was basketball teams, male and female Mm -hmm. that were professional athletes. And the males would just like, they just believed that they'd go all in for it. They wouldn't hold back. Whereas the woman, they wouldn't want to try a, a new skill or move until they felt like they'd mastered it. And so I love this conversation because I think that sometimes I see so many qualified, talented, incredible humans, often women that don't feel like they're ready yet, or they're equipped with enough knowledge or know how to lead. And most often the people that feel that way are often the ones that do have more value and merit to offer. Whereas Mm -hmm. the flip side is that there's people that don't have the substance or knowledge and they haven't developed the experience and they're, you know, putting a sign up saying like, you know, I'm now the expert. And so I feel like this is such a great conversation. And I also want to be mindful of that. Sometimes there's going to be this woman or this man that's so qualified and so experienced. They're going to be like, well, maybe I'm just not ready yet. And maybe I'm not an expert yet. And I Mm -hmm. just like, you've got to pause and really look in like, what is my, like, what am I naturally good at? Where have I ex- created results before? Why do I believe that I could help people? What experience do I have? Um, you know, what education, like maybe it's school of hard knocks. Who have I helped to accomplish this? Like, do you have substance behind that? And if you mm-hmm. do stop holding yourself back. And if you don't, what is it? Where is it that you do have when you are a half a step, a step ahead of someone where you've gained some experience that you could help someone, doesn't mean you need to promise them the moon. You can promise them to yeah. help them to get to like step one because mm-hmm. you've got that, you've moved through that. And so just really being intentional about what is it that we're promising because like it over promising kills the industry. And I feel like that's created a lot of problems in the industry right now mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of people that are just regurgitating. I took a mm-hmm. course. Now I'm going to reteach the same content to someone else. And I don't really understand yeah. why that worked or what's good about it. Or worse, they didn't even take the course. They watched a video. They yes. watched the YouTube video. <laughs> yes. And now, and you know, it's, it's like a, a, the trademark. I was talking with somebody about one of my trademarks the other day. And he said, you have an obligation, Tracy, when you bought that trademark on psychology of the voice, you have an obligation to the marketplace mm. that you are, you are not going to let people go out there and bastardize it for lack of a better word 
that's your responsibility. And it really was powerful when, when this person said that to me. And I think we do have that responsibility, but I, I agree with you. It's a razor's edge and the people that, that really should be taking that leap, putting that there, they very well may be the listeners that right now are going to go, see, I knew, I knew I shouldn't. And, and I always tell the story about when I knew it was going to be psychology of the voice, when I moved from technique, I couldn't do technique anymore. I didn't have what you hear today. I didn't talk. I hadn't done all the research yet, but I had a seed and I had a background and that's the difference. I didn't have to have the 20 year body of research. You don't have to have that, but it's that, it's like you said, it's that intention behind it. It's that background behind it. What do you have? You don't have to have the three degrees. You know, that's one of the number one things I hear in women and you may too. I don't have a degree in it, Tracy. Well, I dropped out of college, so I don't have a degree in anything. And and I used to be so self-conscious about that. Like I used to think there was something wrong with me. And I, I was in college and I was watching real estate from a very, like from a very, like from 17 to 19 years old, I was going to, I was like the strange, my dad died when I was 17 and it just shifted my life to focus on like, who do I want to be in the world? And I wanted to change my life. I was up to no good probably prior to then. And so I decided <laughs> I'm going to take life seriously. So I'd go to open houses. I'd go look at real estate. And from 17 to 19, I was watching real estate, watching real estate, watching real estate. And it was in a, like, nothing was moving in the market. And <laughs> then at 19, places started to sell, like sold stickers were going up. And I'm like, suddenly things are starting to move. And I'm like, I don't like, I want to jump in on this. And if I go to college, like if I finish my college, like I'm going to miss this. And so I decided I'm like, I'm dropping out of college. I was working a job and like, I got another job and I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy real estate instead. And so I bought real estate and I worked in the financial space. I got my, you know, securities license and financial planning designation all through that, but it forever felt so self-conscious about it. And now Mm -hmm. I look at it, I'm like, I'm more than happy to share. I'm like, yep, I'm a college dropout, self-educated in many different ways. And, but I agree with you. It's like, they hold, hold back thinking like, I need to have a degree in it. And you absolutely, you don't. Mm -mm. No. And I mean, kudos to the people that have degrees, but I will tell people all the time, I have a degree in child drama. (laughs) I can teach you how to be the best elephant in the room, but I don't have a degree in voice, but that's my purpose. So I'm so glad you shared that story because that is one of the number one things I hear from women. I'm terrified they're going to find out I don't have a degree. And the sooner that we just stop hiding behind that, I mean, just to put a perspective, I made like I made my first million in my mid twenties through real estate wow. with no degree. And it took me until probably my mid thirties before I was okay. Letting people know I didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. Like that's how long it took me yeah. to be okay with, like, I felt like I was hiding it. And that mm-hmm. if, if I was, if, if I was going to be found out, people wouldn't take me seriously anymore. And it's yeah. just, it's not it's true. Crazy. It's, not, it's true. not true. It is not true. It is not true. Well, you know, I've, I've got still have a page full of questions. I think we're going to have to have a part two Christina, I know how busy you are and I don't know when I can get you back. And that was one of my questions. How do you manage to do all that you do 
you're you're everywhere and you're doing such amazing things where i want to i want to tie this up with just nuances is it primarily women that you work with so is we it, probably what? we're probably like 85% women okay yeah and the people that are listening i know i have a blended audience some people many entrepreneurs many professionals that are thinking about becoming starting their own business or maybe they're doing this side hustle thing, getting something going, they're perfect candidates still for your program, aren't they? Or Yes, we've, we've, yeah. we work with people that are from the very early stages of just getting started yeah. um, all the way up to seasoned entrepreneurs and, and they, we grow with them within, within our programming. But to me, if you're just getting started, the most painful way to grow is by not having an audience and not having people mm-hmm. to speak to. And often if we're feeling like we're posting on social media and no one's paying attention to us, it feels like we're validating the fact that no one pays attention. We're not good enough, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole story. And so one of the things that I love working with, um, whether it's new or, or, or more established entrepreneurs is really helping you create like a significant audience in just 90 days. And we're talking a thousand to 2000 new email subscribers in the first 90 days. So you actually have a market. Like you actually have people that are interested, that are tuning in, that see you as an expert, because think about the difference when you're trying to prove you're an authority, prove people should listen to you versus suddenly you have a thousand to 2000 people that like know your name, that are giving you permission to market to them. They see you as an expert. Think about what a difference that makes when you actually want to present an offer and go out there. It just changes. It just completely changes the dynamic of your ability to move through. So that's one of my most favorite things of jumping into initially with clients is like creating yeah. that like audience blow up essentially yeah. to, to have an audience to speak to and give you the best opportunity of breaking into the industry. Whether you're just getting started, you're expanding and scaling no matter what level of business that you're at. Yeah. Are you on the launch model? People need to keep it. We need to get people in the loop of what you've got coming up yes. so they can watch you. So um, yes, we do do several cycles. I love, yeah. I personally love live events. Yeah. I love spending time with people. I feel like it's just, it's fabulous to be able to go through and, and have an experience with people. And so you can follow me on Deliver Your Genius on Facebook. However, I'd love to just through our conversation today, there's two resources I think that would be exceptionally valuable and I'll get my team to bundle this up. So we'll have a special link for it when we do talk Perfect. about it. But the first one is a little PDF on 17 ways to monetize your knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's just like all the different ways you can package up and sell your knowledge, whether mm-hmm. that's coaching or a workshop or anything. It's like, just helps you create that concept of ways that you could monetize your knowledge and your expertise. And then the second piece, because we were talking about like that results-based transformational offer, Mm -hmm. we actually have a workshop that we sell. It's 297. It's a product development workshop walking through like, how do you go and think about putting together that program or like, how do you pull those pieces together? And again, we charge 297 for it, but we'll put it together with the 17 ways to monetize your knowledge and we'll put it as a free gift to your audience. Oh my gosh, that is so generous. That is lovely. I am not one bit surprised at the loveliness of that offer, but thank you. That is phenomenal. That is listeners. Oh my gosh, that link will be in the show notes. 
And, you know, I, the listeners know because I talk about it and because they will, they will talk about it right back to me. They say to me frequently, Tracy, we love how much care you take in the guests that you bring on the show. And there is definitely strategy in the guests that I bring on the show. And I am very hyper protective of who comes on the show. But I feel the same way about recommendations. I am, people that work with me will often say, did you just give me a compliment? <laughs> because I think they feel like all I ever do is go, okay, fix that, fix that, fix that. But I feel that way about recommendations and referrals and sending people to people. But I would there's there I don't even have enough seconds to blink to give a recommendation if you want to grow your business if you want to build your business you go to Christina you go to deliver your genius because I I give her five stars I give her 10 stars in the five star I've seen her work I've watched it from start to finish and she's what she says to you today she walks her talk so I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. You'll please go and follow her. This is your guide. If you had a thought that, gosh, I need a sign to know to go, this is your sign. Christina's holding it up. You just can't see her. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being here. Any last thoughts that you want to leave us with? Anything, any anything I didn't touch on that you want to share with us or leave us with? This has been amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for having me as well. I think I'm blushing over here <laughs> as well. I mean, I, I think the the biggest thing is like one of my favorite quotes is from Tony Robbins. And he says, don't leave the sight of a goal without taking one step towards its attainment. So what does he mean by that? It means like the moment that we decide we want something, we want to go after something, a goal in our business, starting our business, whatever that is, like take one step, take one step towards that. It locks it in. The longer we wait from the decision we make, that this is the, that we want to go after something to taking our first action, the less likely we'll actually move forward with it. And so um, trust in that, right? Like trust in that, trust in the fact that we're here at this moment right now, whatever that next step is for you. If you've made that decision, whether that's going and, and picking up this free gift, whether it's taking some sort of action in your business, go do it. Trust yourself to take that next action because the moment that you do the next one unlocks, the next one unlocks. And it's only through action that we gain clarity. And the first stage is always confusion. And the only way out is action. So go take your action. So good. So good. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you, Christina, so much for so much of your time and incredible wisdom. And thank you listeners for being here. It's always great to have you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.